Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. A leading PR person was bragging to me about how it's never been easier to hide stories than it is today. You only need to knock on two doors to make sure that people are looking somewhere else. I think it's reflective of the concentration in Australian media. It's News Corp and it's Nine Entertainment. And that's it. And I think that's why it's important there are more voices in town. You've seen this the evolution of the whole move to digital for the one of the biggest mastheads through its whole evolution to today. What made you then decide to do what you've done? The more that you understand about how the world actually works, it's not necessarily being reflected in our media. You want this to be the masthead of the future. There's a business to be had there and a business to be disrupted. Chris Jans, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Now, quickly tell me what you've just launched, mate. We've launched a new business publication, really there to reflect modern Australian business. It's called Capital Brief. Uh, If you look at Australian business media, there's an incumbent that's a self-declared monopoly. It's been uh, around for about seven name years. Them. Name and shame. Well, don't shame, but name. No, it's the Financial Review, yeah. which the I AFR. used to run. Yep. And love the fin as a product. does a great job, I think, of reflecting the top end of town, the odd corporate scandal, but Australian business has changed. Uh, there's been the rise of entrepreneurialism. We have global success stories that are worth billions of dollars if you, and you can list them off, um, Canva, Afterpay, all of these great modern success stories. And also millennials have invaded the C-suite. It's not just the grey, and I can't speak myself, you know, there's a few greys there. but yeah, um, now be careful. Just, just a few. <laughs> I'm looking at the camera. But the, the, the rise of millennials in the C-suite, they're now running the country. It's not just people that have been doing it for the last five decades. So it's a publication really to reflect that modern Australian business. Really it's there to reflect that we're targeting investors that allocate capital, those who help businesses achieve capital, uh, business leaders who need capital to grow their businesses and the decision makers in the federal capital, Canberra. I want to flip it over a little bit and go back to Chris Jantz. Wind right, right, right back. Sydney boy, Melbourne boy, where are you from? No, Queenslander. Que- Whoa. I've lived in, lived in uh, Sydney my well, more than half my life now, but still very much a Queenslander. So born in Queensland, whereabouts in Queensland? In Monto, a small country where the hell town. Where that? Middle of nowhere. Dad was a school principal, yeah. so we moved wow. every twelve to eighteen months, and and got to know the place. Middle. Sort of the middle of the state, up north, out west. Where do you rank in the kids? Oh, eldest, eldest, number right. one, clearly. Number one. Oh, <laughs> your mum and dad still alive? Yeah, yeah, they are. I'd love to hear their view on that. <laughs> number one, maybe in, in um, chronological order, um, and I'd love to hear what your brothers and sisters got to say. So, 
really very, very normal Aussie environment. It came very, very normal. At what stage did Chris Janis decide that he wanted to be a journalist or involved in media? I always wanted to be a journalist when I really? grew up. Absolutely. And I, I have vivid memories in primary school of presenting the news bulletin for the class and creating Serious? a mock paper. Yeah, in primary, like under 12, tw- yeah, 12 and under. Yeah, um, absolutely. Always wanted to do it and everyone was trying to convince me not to do it. That's not a smart path. Everyone in your family? Yeah, not not my, not my parents but people in my extended family. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, media is not where you want to be. You want to go off and do do a proper job. What the fuck excited you about media back then? Like and why why would you be thinking about that stuff? I just I mean, wanted to tell stories. So Okay, that's the point. You wanted to tell stories about what's going on or you wanted to tell stories about fictional stuff because you, no, no. you might end up being able to become a, a writer if that was the case. Oh, I'm incredibly boring. I, I hate fictional movies. It's like take me take me to a world that's real. Um, so it was always about telling real stories and then tapping away at, you know, <laughs> all of all of the high and mighty stuff. Let's solve all the injustices in the world through words. That was that was absolutely what um what got me into it but I didn't start I, I ended up with a journalism degree I started actually doing computer science and business management because there was that constant refrain in the back of your head that journalism's the wrong path what excites you about what's really going on for example war in Ukraine or um the, the Trump drama you know and the, the storming the the capital etc that's real stuff what excites you about that I mean what, what's I'm important not, to you about that I'm not so sure I'm excited about war in Ukraine or storming the capital but I, th- I think it's reflecting what's actually going on and yeah. think you'd, in a you'd, truthful sense in so a you, truthful sense and yeah. you'd know that the more that you understand about how the world actually works it's not necessarily being reflected in our media yeah. and that's why media has a massive trust problem which is one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing. But you, you look at the opportunity to, to tell stories and reflect what's really happening in Australia. I think it's, it's both important, but it's also a really interesting business. Yeah, but so like I don't want to pick on any one particular aspect, but like Qantas has been a big issue and, you know, your old paper has been writing a lot about that, in particular Joe. And um, that's sort of a take the social justice out of it. In other words, we're all paying too much for their fares and we should maybe should be letting other airlines in and all that sort of stuff. Take take the economics out of it but and the unfairness of it. But in terms of the reality of what's actually going on, in other words, digging below the, the surface and finding what's really going on, which is what Joe's been doing, Joe Aston I'm talking about now, of course. Um, what about What is it about that, the truth of the real reality, the truth of reality that makes you excited? What, what, well, it, where's that come from? Qantas is a prime example though where – out of nowhere, suddenly there was a media storm. And I think Joe's done an amazing job of totally. prosecuting prosecuting Qantas and where Qantas is at. But if you were at a Sunday barbecue, any Sunday barbecue with someone who has needed to get on a plane in the last few years, <laughs> the conversation's actually been happening for a really long time in the real community. But no one's talked about it. No one, it, it hasn't been elevated. Yeah. It hasn't been elevated to a business issue and an issue that really needs to be addressed. Uh, and I think that's reflective across all sectors of the economy and across a lot of society. The conversations that you're having in the boardroom of your business, when you compare that to what's being discussed in the financial press or the press as a whole, often the two do not align. And the, there is a, a, lo- a lot of yarns just to be dragged out and, and brought to the forefront. Well, then why, why is it, why then, and I'm not being critical of the Fin Review, but why then do we have to rely on Joe who's running an opinion piece why is it that that's really the only column or the only part of the AFR, for example, and you were the boss of the joint, sort of digs in deep and the rest of it's sort of pretty transactional? I think it's reflective of the concentration 
in Australian media. Media effectively in the printed news media sense, it's a two-horse race now. It's News Corp and it's Nine Entertainment and 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 that's it. And if you look at f- the financial press, the, the nine sales folks get up on stage and crow about the fact that the financial review is a monopoly. So when you've got a monopoly crowing about the fact they're a monopoly, uh, you, you can miss things. It's... Yeah. Do you think they miss things or they just, they've got control of it and they don't need to do anything else other than what Joe does? I mean, oh, Joe's most read, by the way. There, there are, he, he's incredibly read. There, you know, there, there are brilliant journalists at the Financial Review and I'm not doing what I'm doing as an antidote. No, to no, the no, no, I get that. I think that there is, there are room for so many more voices in this country. And when you have, uh, when you have one shop being the only shop in town, a lot of stories don't get told. Actually, a, a spinner was almost bragging to me the other day that it's never been easier to a hide a, a spin doctor, a PR, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. a leading PR person was bragging to me about how it's never been easier to hide stories than it is today. And I think that's reflective. What do you mean? What's that mean? So there's things going on in the broader business community. You only need to knock on two doors to make sure that people are looking somewhere else. Right. And I think that's why it's important there are more voices in town and why it's important that there are more opportunities for stories to to rise. If I go back to the days when I first kicked Wizard off, I don't think the quality of the individuals was any better. But I think that the quality of what I got out of reading this interview was better than compared to today. Are you responding to what your readers are looking for? And how do you work that out? Oh, there are so many threads there. Yeah, um, yeah totally. And I'm, I'm hoping with Capital Brief we create competition and all boats lift and everyone yeah, becomes yeah. better um, because I think the reality when you don't have that head-to-head competition every day, you can take, you can lean back and and take it a bit easier. Not but, that- well, did you ever feel that when you were there? Oh, my my list of things to do was not done uh, at, at the point that I left the joint. And part of that's the reality of an incumbent that's built an amazing business over 70 years where you are building and building and building to, to pivot and to change tact is actually both hard and risky. And that's a different situation to the one I'm in today where you can genuinely get out the blank sheet of paper, talk to people in Australian business about what's important to them, talk to them about what they want to know, what they want to learn, what's of value to them and, and build it accordingly. And it's, it's that job of renovating something that already exists yeah. is always, I think, harder than starting, than starting with the blank sheet and starting again. Yeah, so like it, and I'm not trying to get you to push it on, um, you know, the AFR or anything like that, but th- th- these are consequences of being in control of a, of a marketplace. The consequences of being in control of a marketplace, if, if it's a monopoly or a duopoly or an oligopoly, and I mean, I experienced exactly the same thing with the banks, is that you don't want to shake the tree too hard. You're happy with your market share. You've got a certain market share, might be 50-50 if there's two of you. you the extra 1% is not that you might be chasing is not worth the risk of losing 5%. So 100%. you stay at 50 and you just say, let's make this 50% work. And, the, and by the way, your counterpart, the other side of the duopoly, says exactly the same. You don't even have to have the conversation. No one's having a meeting and talking about it. There's no acting in concert, but your minds are alike because, you know, that's pretty logical stuff. And as a result of that, you just continually do the same thing and until someone like you and comes along. 
like and shakes the tree a little bit. Like in the case of me, you know, me Aussie, I was actually just outside before I came in here today. I was actually talking to James Simon, John's nephew, rent um, Aussie, and uh, we we're, talk, we're talking about the old days, how easy it was just to shake the tree because the banks control the marketplace. They didn't want to make a move. They just took the view. Let's just watch these upstarts kick the grass a little bit and see where, what comes out of it. If they make lots of money and the, or take market share from us, we'll buy them. Um, if they fail, oh, so what? We, we've lost nothing and we'll let them fail. Um, and that's what the incumbents do. You use the word incumbents, incumbents. You were, you were running the incumbent. I'm just trying to get around because I've never been a, an incumbent. So I'm just trying to get around, around your head and get into your head a little bit. The nature of the incumbents thinking or the people at the top of the incumbent, is it correct what I just said? You're saying let's not take risks. We, we've got 50%. Let's live where it is. Without being critical, I'm not. No, no, I, yeah. I, I don't think I can speak for them. Yeah. But I can speak to. What about for you, though? Oh, for me, disruption is my happy place. And I've, if you look at each part of my career, each act, it's all been about disrupting the status quo. So when I joined what was then Fairfax in 2016, my brief was very clear. We're going to stop printing the daily newspaper and shift to a digital-only business. It's pre-9. This is pre-9. Pre- this so, is 2016. So, so nine happened back of 2018. It was a monstrous organisation back those days. Oh, the building was on fire though. And H- How do you mean? It was very, very clear that if they continued down the path that they were heading on, revenues would cross the line with costs yep. and there was nothing left to cut. Right. So you had a very clear, a very clear decision needed to be made to change strategy, change operating model and determine whether or not there was a future for the business or not. It was an existential crisis. How does the decision or the the process start? I think it was a fantastic board for that time and great chief executive in Greg Highwood for that time too in that they could see what was going to happen if they did nothing and really believed that those mastheads, being the Sydney Morning Herald, the Age and the Finish Review, were so important to the fabric of Australian society that if you allowed them to disappear off the face of the earth, things wouldn't be good. So they, they were driven by the fact that the the purpose of the company was important and that if they didn't switch things up, there wouldn't be that business anymore. There'd be the shareholding in Stan and the shareholding in Domain, which also were under the, the Fairfax umbrella. Yeah, because Stan was a joint venture between Channel 9 and Fairfax. That's right. It was, uh, Gingel, Gingel and Highwood put that deal together, which is a pretty smart deal, particularly at the time. It's probably now worth more than Fairfax is. Um probably in terms of value. Stan probably is, I'm not sure, but it would be getting close. Um, great initiative. And I remember talking to Gingell at the time. He was telling me exactly what you just said, uh, Fairfax has to do something. So, um, and David, I think, was, he was he was a CEO of Channel 9 at the time, uh, or the 9 group. So Fairfax, pre-9 buying Fairfax, Fairfax, Greg Highwood or someone has come to you and said, we want you to take us digital. Yeah, and, Greg came to me and said, if we gave you time to map out a plan. Yep. What would it look like? What would it look like? And so do you say you got three months to come up with an idea or what's the deal? We had 12 months. 12 months. 12 months became six. Yeah. <laughs> because the- So hurry the, up. The platform burnt a little more. Um, yeah. And there was a concern that if we waited any longer, there wouldn't be anything left to save. Because I remember the time too, by the way, and I'm sorry to interrupt them, but I remember the time too, because one of my mates was working there, there was a big push on redundancies. Offer redundancies to people, get rid of the staff, like cut the numbers, cut the numbers, cut the numbers, cut the numbers. And it was Sean doing it. Sean was working for Greg and Sean's had that shitty job of having yeah, to cull, fun. cull, cull, cull. Not his territory, by the way. No. And uh, 
So not only were they – so this is smart because business owners don't do this, you know. Shit, we've got to cut costs because the margin's shrinking to nothing, but we also got to pivot. We're going to go another direction. You're running the pivot piece. So you got, you're gone from 12 months to six months. Come up with a strategy. Yeah, so the, the way it worked is the existing business was called the white business and then I was running the blue business, which was building the foundations for the future. The white business continued on their merry way in the headquarters in Piemont, um, continued making decisions as if it was business as usual. The blue business was in Surrey Hills, just down the road from where yeah. we are now. A group of people who were either new to the business or had been brought in for this particular project with a very, very clear brief. You have a blank sheet of paper, but access to these amazing brands, these at-scale revenues, this, this resource, the journalism that we produce. What would things look like if you were designing that in 2016 instead of inheriting what had developed over the last 180 plus years? And that's what we went about designing. And it was a, a team working, you know, for some really uncomfortably, their partners would be in the existing business and they wouldn't be able to talk about what they were doing in, in the new company. So um, black ops. It, <laughs> overstating it to a degree, but we were just down the road from News Corp and, and no one really knew what we were doing. No one in, in the mothership, so to speak, in Piemont and no one at any of our competitors. And that was really important because you needed to be able to not be encumbered by how things work at the moment or um, you couldn't restrain your thinking. You had to be able to lay it all out on a page in an ideal world. How would you do things? And then the next phase from there was, okay, we're not in an ideal world. How do we practically do things? How about the advertising side? Because one of the big issues was revenue because the Sikhs of the world and all those other organisations are stealing your lunch because that that was a big deal. I mean, 100%. the money you guys made out of City Morning Herald They were the rivers of gold. Gone. Which is what Kerry was always after, yeah. um, you know, in the early days. Um, but, but he didn't realise it was going to disappear very quickly with the likes of Seek, et cetera. Were you, were you briefed or was did your brief include how do we make more money out of the digital side of it too, like in terms of revenue? Oh, how it, did we turn it, that on? It was top to bottom. So it was what's our strategy? Yep. <laughs> because a strategy of cutting costs faster than revenue declines is not a strategy. And then flying from that strategy, what's the operating model? So we looked at every part of the business, the newsroom, how we sold advertising, how we approach subscriptions and, our, and who our customers actually were, uh, how we print and distribute newspapers, every element of the business and how we, how we communicate with our own people and, you know, the authenticity and actually taking people along the journey with you, every single aspect we worked through. And then on Valentine's Day of 2017, things switched and the business that was the white business no longer existed and the crew that had been coming up with the new plan were in charge. Wow. Just like that? Just like that. So it was sort of free in the beginning and it was a bit confusing. Uh, oh, it's the tension that exists in a lot, a lot of big media companies in that you need the scale for advertising, mm. but also you can see the future of advertising is being disrupted by Google and Facebook who have such enormous supply and can set the price. So you want to focus on subscriptions and getting people to pay for your journalism, but you can't lock it down too much because then you threaten your scale. So yeah. you're in this constant balancing act that I think is, is really quite challenging and it's challenging on a couple of levels. It's challenging because you're not sure who you want to be, but also it means that you're producing journalism to suit both purposes and sometimes it they doesn't can work either way. with each other. Yep. Yeah, one, one prefers clickbait, yeah. the other prefers quality and depth and the two generally don't really come together perfectly. So you need to have trade-offs and make decisions. Whereas 
when you're doing what we're doing at Capital Brief, you can just focus on the subscriber. We want to produce great journalism that people are willing to pay for. It, it provides clarity that you don't otherwise have. Yeah, so that's very interesting because, uh, you know, because obviously we've evolved, a lot, digital has evolved a long way from 2017 um, to today and you're you're able to pick the good side of digital out and do what you want to do at Capital Brief effectively, what, what works best for you. But back in that period, it was extra- for me it was extraordinarily challenging just watching you guys. I mean, I'm not in the media but I was watching the media guys and determining this uh, balance between, as you said, uh, deep, meaningful AFR newspaper articles and clickbait, sort of where it went. That's that's where it ended up, clickbait. And uh, I and sort of sat there for a long time. So in other words, what got the most impressions? You've nailed their challenge with journalism today, which is it was all about chasing scale. Yeah. And then Google and Facebook came along and had scale themselves. Yeah. But scale where no one was valuing context. So... The price of an eyeball. Was uh, context the, being quality. Quality. Yeah. Yeah. So the price of an eyeball is the price of an eyeball. Yeah. So you don't care whether or not you're watching cat videos on YouTube as an advertiser. Yep. Or whether it's against an investigative piece that brings down a government. Yep. It's an eyeball. Yeah. And the intellectual curiosity of the person. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Reading it at the time doesn't matter. The context doesn't matter. The fact that it might be followed by an ISIS beheading on London Bridge doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think there's been a bit of a reversion to form over the last few years where people have started to question, hey, the context really does matter. I've spent decades building trust in my brand and trust in my business. Why would I allow that to potentially be eroded for saving a few cents by by doing business over here? Maybe context really does matter. From an advertising point of view, you're talking about, or from the from the point of view of the organisation producing the, the content? Both. 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 Because if your business model is driven by advertising, obviously when you're competing against someone who doesn't pay for much of their content, you're going to have to produce as much as you can at as low a cost as possible to, to even catch up. But when advertisers start demanding, hey, context really matters. It matters that I'm surrounded by quality. It matters that I'm in an environment where people trust what they're reading and I'm willing to pay for it, then it changes that behaviour. How long did it take for media buyers dash advertisers to start to work out or, or, or conclude that they want a different style? They wanted something a bit more contextual and maybe a little bit something with a bit more depth. I don't think the job there is done, to be honest. Right. But what we set about doing, and the Sydney Morning Herald in particular, had a different personality in print than it did digitally. Digitally. Right. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. SMH.com.au in the 
early teens was a different team altogether. So the, the, the same DNA was not transplanted across both products, right. even though I didn't realize they shared that. a brand. And it's because the digital model was about scale. Yep. Whereas the print model was about serving a paying audience. Yes. And they're two, two different models. So part of what we did was bring those together and really say, hey, if you're not proud to have this on page three of a newspaper, it shouldn't be leading a website with the same brand. And our end goal here is to have people paying for our journalism. If they don't trust us and believe that what they're getting every time they come to us is quality, then they're going to feel gypped. So you need to shift things over. And then it was about having the same conversation with advertisers and saying, hey, you need to value this trust. You need to value the connection people have with this brand. And that worked, you know, in 2017, 2018, for the first time in a long time, all the revenue lines were lifting, whether it was print advertising, print retail circulation, print subscriptions, digital subscriptions or digital advertising. Every single one was growing for the first time in a long time within that business. Readership for a long time has been at record levels because the internet, yeah, pure, the internet's a great vehicle for lots of eyeballs on the page. So lots of people reading, that wasn't necessarily translating into a business result. But are you saying to me that well, management or somebody started to talk to the media buyers and the advertisers? One, one chat at a time. It really? Was, oh, it, there, there was a lot of- So you of- educate the market. Yeah, a lot of boot leather going out to your customers and reminding them why they valued you. Yeah, yeah. Rather than putting yourself in the commoditized frame where you're just competing on price. Yeah. And you will never win on price against someone like Google that yeah. has enormous global scale. Yeah, and, yeah. And can tip the market overnight if they so choose. And it doesn't matter if they lose for a while. They can they can run a loss for a while. And Australia's a rounding error. So yeah, yeah, it's, totally. Compared to our local media where it is their business. You've seen this, the evolution of the whole Move to digital for the one of the biggest mastheads, um, you know, the Fairfax Group, through its whole evolution to today. What made you then decide to do what you've done? Well, I decided to leave Nine mm-hmm. as it is now, and well, of course, Nine took over Fairfax. Nine took over Fairfax. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, bought the company, and I was the the one member of the management team from the Fairfax side that was part of part of the Absorbs Group. Yeah, and did that for a couple of years. Decided it was time for something new. And, and spent a bit of time reflecting, to be honest, about what was what was important to me. I had a bunch of conversations with with a stack of people who all had their two cents to add on what I should be doing next. And I realised, not entirely quickly, but over time, that there are two things that I love. One is media is in my blood, as irrational as it is. Media being telling stories about real things. Yeah. And, and the business of media too excites me. I actually think it's an incredibly fascinating business, you know, and maybe one of the reasons why running your own show and running, having that entrepreneurial play is is a lot more fun to me than the day-to-day of, of corporate life. Tell me about the challenges of being the entrepreneur though. How nervous were you feeling? Not, to be honest. No? Um, no, because it's a well-thought-through plan. We know where we need to be at certain milestones. Milestones. Yeah, yeah. I've got an amazing team. I've got people around me that really believe in what we're doing and I know can execute upon it. Uh, we've got great partners and backers. So you, you kind of, all, all of the key things, the boxes are ticked. And over time, I've come to believe that the benefits of incumbency are less than the, the fun that you can have disrupting the ship and the the benefits of the blank sheet. So I'm, I'm pretty confident in what we're doing. Um, I'm sure there'll be moments and, you know, through my past roles, I've experienced plenty of curveballs and grenades. Uh, I, I actually enjoy responding to that. So it's um, not not nervous. 
have you had any response from the the incumbents? So, like you know, incumbents know exactly what you're up to. They they know you. Um, and this is not a this is a well trodden path. Um, disruptors come in and try and take market share from incumbents, and incumbents do the usual thing. They just sit back and watch what happens. Or sometimes they try to, uh, uh, you know, play a few games and you know try and disrupt the disruptor. Um, have the incumbents at, at this stage responded, or do they say, "Well done, Chris. Good on you, mate. Wish you all the best." Oh, well, there have been some people that have been incredibly generous with their support, and can see, I think, that the more people in town that are producing great journalism, the better it is for everyone. Um, and, yeah, there's been some tricks too from, yeah. from some others and, you know, uh, some quarters where I expected it, some quarters where I didn't expect it, just just with the support, to be honest, though. Yeah. There's some people that have been incredibly, like, incredibly generous. So you, you need content at the end of the day. Like you're, in, you're a newspaper effectively but using a So we don't job. have to fill 40 pages. So Not every day. And, and, we'll, we'll just produce what? You, the quality that meets the bar. Okay, so would you have you are you like the 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 chief editor, so to speak? No, no, I'm the CEO. CEO. So we've got well, an editor in chief, and that separation from the business yep. to the journalism, I think, is important. Right. So, where do you recruit your people from? We've from all over the place. So our editor in chief did come from what used to be Fairfax. Uh, he was the national business editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age. What's his name? John McDooling. Okay. And, and he's fantastic. He was part of that process that I was talking about earlier where we set about rebuilding and re-engineering those masters. Yep. And I, that's where I saw him at his best when he was really unencumbered by all of the legacy thinking and could just build it as it should be built. And so he's he's perfect for what we're doing. Um, but we've we've discovered people along this journey too who put up their hand and said, hey, I want to be part of this. I think journalism... Pick me, pick me. I think journalism's important. Yeah. And yeah. I, I believe in what you're doing. Um, and some of some of the best talent that we've got on board, I didn't know six months ago. So we went into the process with a really open mind of it's not just the crew that I've come to know over what is now, you know, almost three decades in this game. Um, it's also new people who had been tolling away at a, at a small publication or slightly off-Broadway journalism um, and bringing them to the fore. We want to break down stories. We don't want to beat them up. What's that mean? Well, a, a lot of what day-to-day reporting is about is going into that meeting and editors piling on and making the story more sensationalist to attract a bigger audience. We don't want to do that. We just want to say this is how it is. This is why the story matters to you, not... Here's how we've hyped it to attract more clicks. That's interesting because, I mean, from my point of view, I do want someone to curate why it matters to me. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I'm, a, I'm the sort of person who would like someone to tell me what it is you need to know, Mark, as a business person. Yeah, what's and, relevant, and that providing that context and insight is really important. One of the one of the products that we produce is a daily newsletter, the edition. It's free, so you don't have to pay to access it, and it really is about here's what's happened today, and here's why it's important. It'll take you two minutes to read. Right. So that's it's, good. It's not about making people click on as many things as they possibly can and sucking them in for half an hour. It's about providing our value in Capital Brief. What we're doing with Capital Brief is here's what's happened, here's why it matters. Will the model include perhaps some advertising at some stage? Yes, but it'll be, again, a different model to what I normally see. What yeah. you normally see. Because what you do see if you go on a standard news site, pick a news site, any news site. I can't stand it. There'll be maybe 12 messages on a page. Yeah. It's incredibly cluttered. Yeah, I can't You skip it. over it or they'll, they'll be down the bottom of the story. They'll be selling you vitamins. Yeah, I hate it. I just don't like it. Or in the middle of the story, I've got to sort of get past it. 
I don't like it. Yeah, so our, our model's different. It's one commercial partner per page because it's not our core focus. Our yeah. core focus is not funding this business through advertising. It's funding through subscriptions. And if we're providing a really aggressive and, you know, sometimes untruthful experience through advertising, you're not going to value what we're putting towards you every day. You probably won't trust us and we'll be in the same category as a bunch of other publications. How does a business like yours go about or a concept like yours go about raising the capital? Was it bootstrapped by you and your mates or was it have you gone to the marketplace and sort of got people to back you? No, we went to the market and the the, the honest truth is I got offered, I've been working on this idea for a while and got offered a very big job and had this crossroads of do I pursue the path of building this business from scratch or do I, what was in my mind, take the easy path and take pocket, the wage, pocket a big wage and wage, know, super, holidays, etc. That's it. Holiday house. Yeah. <laughs> tick, 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 tick. And I then started having conversations with with people who could provide capital because I was like, oh, if I don't do this now, it's it's never. I've got to either try and build this business or or accept that I'll be a wage slave for life and you know probably retire happy, pretty happy. Um, and I, I but unfulfilled. Uh, yeah, well, I think so. And you you start having conversations with people about media and the. First assumption is that it's not a business. Media is not a business. Not realising that the Sydney Morning Herald, the Age and the Financial Review operate on 30% margin. They're, they're among the most profitable newspapers in the world. So there's a business to be had there and a business to be disrupted. The second is people will often say, yeah, I'm, I'm into it because people need to understand that insert bugbear here is real. So whether, you know, they want to prove that fossil fuels are great for the world or climate changes is real, like opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I'm not in this for an ideological bent. And I think if you accept capital through that lens, you're going to be having similar issues to people that are also led by proprietorial influence. So when when you start to tease that away, you, you get to what's really important to you. And what was important to me was people that understood that, hey, I'm interested in this because it's a great business model. I'm interested in this because I back the team. I'm not interested in it because I'm fascinated by the power that media brings or or could bring or that I could use this megaphone to share whatever message I want to get out there. And and finding those people were was what was really important. And we've we've got that in the team at Shearwater Capital that's backing us. They they're really The UVC Venture capitalists? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a yeah. VC firm, but VC done pretty yeah. differently because yeah. it's it's effectively private wealth behind it rather yep. than a bunch of bunch of other people tipping money in. Yeah, okay. So so you got your you got your um, patient capital. Um, they believe in your your thesis. That's really important. They've got to believe in your thesis because otherwise it's a, they're a pain in the ass. Yeah, you're effectively a slave to what they want to be their outcomes. So you don't mind being a slave to your own outcomes, but not to someone else's outcomes. Well, I've, I've had experience too with venture money in the past and, you know, learnt that I was spending more time managing the investors. Yeah, than totally. Managing the business. I want to run the business. I don't want to, to manage investors. Have you already started to feel an evolution in in, um, in, in any part of not so much the um, business model but the the plan? Are you starting to say, shit, hang on, that wasn't quite right, that bit there? Not not yet. Not yet. Um, there have been some things that have surprised me. Like revelations. Yeah, but it not and, and surprised me 
Yeah, just in a really positive way. Delightfully. <laughs> it, 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 it's good. They, they're all good signals at the moment. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I expected probably a few more bumps quite early on than we've had. So, so that's a good thing, but it also makes me nervous. Ultimately, McCary always used to say this to me, like, so you're going to start off something disruptive. That's great. He said, but you better have an exit, exit plan. And, you know, exit plans are about sort of a, um, attributing a valuation to yourself, I mean, to the business based on your normal valuation processes, say five years' time, looking at who might buy me, can I list it on the, on the, in the public domain or any combination of those things or, or not because it could be so bloody profitable, I just keep it as a shareholder. Do you and your um, founders have a plan around exit? No. Potential exits? No. And I think that was that was important to me. So you did it on purpose? Intentionally. Yep. Okay. Can you take me through that? Intentionally coming into the business and building a business that has generational value. We're not coming into the business building a business to flip. And that I think changes some of the decisions that you'd make. It's, you know, what is important in building this business is that we achieve the actual outcomes, yep. not perceived outcomes. And I've seen it, I've seen it in the private world, I've seen it in the public company world where you are performing activity for perception or performing activity for so people Qantas. think that you're on a certain path. Qantas, um, Qantas. Yeah, well. Uh, profit. Like uh, they, they thought the perception was everybody wants a profit, shareholders want a profit, but they didn't realise there's customers weren't, couldn't give a shit yeah, about that. bones connected to the. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a big drama. It's a, it's, it's a massive drama. It's, it's been a, a major lesson for me watching this program, this process. It's been like watching a Netflix series. But did you think it was inevitable as a, as a customer, yep, someone who experienced the airline? Yep, I did. But I didn't, I, no, I didn't consciously think it was inevitable at the time, someone who was experiencing Qantas. But now that I look back on it, it was inevitable. Yeah. As a as a history lesson to me, and uh, and it's a big lesson, um, and lots of other lessons around it as well. But that in particular, um, it's, but you, so you consciously just have made a decision not to put it into a position where you can create a liquidity event, say five years or ten years, whatever the case may be, because you've got patient capital. That's very handy to have at the end of the day. So, and you said generational. So it sounds like you want this to be the masthead. Of the future, if we do it right, we're building the business that I want to work in, yeah. and the business that I think anyone who has journalistic talent wants to work in. So, why would why would you then pack up shop and go do something else? Like if we do it right, it's it's where I'll want to be every day. Yeah, but for your future, like you can see yourself, you know, wandering around the halls of the office or the environment, wherever, wherever that is, um, physically as like a seventy year old or a seventy five year old, being proud of what you've created. Oh, I'd hope so. Yeah, but well, obviously, you know, I'd, I'd hope I'd be proud of what. But at no, seventy but I'm and seventy-five, I'm I'm probably not planning on being in the office. Never no, wandering around, like like in other words, you may still be a shareholder or you're somehow involved. Yeah. As opposed to this is just a in out. I know I can make a good 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 quick quit out of this because I'm going to disrupt the market. I'm actually going to um, take ten percent share from the incumbents, and the incumbents are going to be effectively forced to buy me back. Yeah. It, well, it's opportunistic. Let's be let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's an audience need and desire, and a really profitable incumbent that that are ready to be disrupted. But the outcome that I'm seeking is is absolutely not to build something and then flip it. So, what do you think is going to happen in ten years' time? Do you think there are those hard 
hard copy things that are just going to disappear off the face of the earth. We're not going to be buying the fin review physical. I think physical print, print will be gone in a decade, no doubt. Yeah. Um, if you look across all aspects of traditional media, the, the model is on fire. Like there are structural challenges that it doesn't matter how. On fire in burning down sense. And, absolutely. Not on fire. Yeah, in a no, burning not, down. not good on fire. Yeah, yeah, on a burning down sense. Bad on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, you have a situation where fewer and fewer people are watching TV delivered over an aerial. Yep. Fewer and fewer people are picking up a printed paper. Yep. And the costs of producing that paper, the cost of have the physical up. paper have gone up because lots of people that, used to produce that paper, now I want to make Amazon boxes. Like yep. The world has changed. So if you sit sit still and keep doing what you're doing, you will end up being in serious, serious trouble. And I think that's the reality across the whole media landscape. And I think the opportunity for us with what we're doing with Capital Brief is not being encumbered by that need to maintain your revenues while maybe you exit printed newspapers or maintain your revenues while... 25% fewer people are watching the six o'clock news this year than they did two years ago. That's that's a really challenging balancing act. We just we just need to build. You know, sometimes if I get home in time, I might turn the news on. The the you know the six o'clock. How news. often are you home at six o'clock? Rarely, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but 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 say on a weekend, for example, on a Sunday after the I watch the footy, and uh, and I think they're just telling me what I heard at I've already read. That's that's exactly why I needed to leave that kind of business and go and do something new because the, the the reality is media consumption has changed and you either sit there and address it head on or you keep doing things the way that you've been doing them for the last 60 years. Kerry Pack once told me that. He said, don't worry about which one people prefer. Just be in the swim yeah, and you'll get your market share. You just got to be in the swim and you're in the swim. Chris Chance, good to see you, mate. Thanks so much, mate. Appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.